We will be starting at 1.30 on Thursday. So now even you internet people know that. That's why Thursdays will be shorter. Um, and we should be able to, uh, so there's that. And remember also, we have a test coming up a week from Thursday. So we will have time to do some review, a little bit of Q&A next, a week from today. I'll get, I know I'll get to where I want to get done, which is about with partway through your own communication. At that point, we can, you guys ask questions, I answer them, it'll be great. Okay? You do the test. It's coming up as four definitions, define and demonstrate the significance of four of the following. And let's say you were being asked to explain to me what hippocampus was. So you would say, hippocampus, it is a subcortical structure in the limbic system right next to the amygdala. It's kind of shaped like a seahorse. It is important for consolidation of episodic memories, like in the case of HM. Oh, that was easy. And it's also important in spatial memory, like with the London cab driver study. Look at that, that was five out of five. I think probably be mentioning something about, uh, yeah, no, that's good, that, that, that's, that's what all you need there. Then there's a, a diagram that'll have 20, worth 20 points, and it's got blanks, and you fill in the blanks on the diagram, and then give me a couple of words about what the thing does that you label. And then it will be, I don't say what which will allow you to tie stuff together and what you know so far. Okay? And I'll talk a little bit more about what that will be like uh, on Tuesday. Or maybe not Thursday. Depending on when we get there, basically. All right, any questions about the test that's coming up before we get into today's stuff? Okay, good. So today, uh, we'll talk about genetics and genetics and behavior. Now, I realize this isn't a genetics and behavior class, but if we're gonna talk about behavior and its biological basis, which is a lot of what this course basically is, we have to understand where the biological stuff comes from. And it, it comes from the interaction of genes and the environment. This is what this quote by Heb means, okay? Um, I talked today as well about how heritability doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means. So if I say that human, yeah, I can say this pretty easily. Human IQ is, has a heritability of 0.6, okay? So that means that if I took the variance in human IQ and the variance in, gen in, in genotype in your genes, the overlap in that variance would be 60%. It doesn't mean that 60% of your intelligence comes from your genes. It just doesn't work like that. It means the variance is sheer. And I talked the other day as well about how if something has 100% heritability like that, so with PKU, it can be completely changed. Just because something has a genetic basis of some sort doesn't mean that it's not changeable. It's an important distinction. You have to understand that. It's really important, okay? So what I'm saying here is the nature-nurture argument, that's what I'm saying. This is what this quote by Donald Hebb says, that it's kind of a silly argument. And by kind of silly, let's go with stupid. It's a stupid argument. 
It's not just kind of, it's stupid. Why are you arguing over something? Don't. All right, so here's some terms that you might know these terms, and I'm not gonna, uh, I don't think you should worry too much about them, but I think the important point here is that if I can, if I want to talk about genes of data, I have to, we have to be on some common wavelength, I guess would be a way to put it, so I have to be able to tell you to talk about these things using technical terms. So here's some terms. What is a gene? Well, a gene is the smallest unit of inheritance, or the smallest unit of heritability, if you want to use that. That's a nice operational definition. You can also have a definition that is about the structure of it, and you could say it is a uh, series of codons that code for a protein. I like the smallest unit of heritability, because they, they, they both mean the same thing. Out of curiosity, how many people here have taken a genetics class? Oh, that's nice. Okay, this is good. Okay, very nice. That's gonna make this a little easier. Your genotype then is your genes, okay? And your phenotype is your outward characteristics, and that includes your behavior, okay? So we don't tend to think of biologic, biologists don't tend to think, uh, yeah, that's fair to say, they don't tend to think of behavior as a characteristic as much as they think of physical things like I'm six foot one. But behavior is also a characteristic. So your, your phenotype includes your behavior. Uh, a chromosome is, you know what's an easy way to describe this? It's just, it's a whole bunch of genes. I like that. It's just a lot of genes and they're in the uh, cell nucleus. And on chromosomes there are loci, or I guess it really should be loci, uh, and an individual place is a locus. That's a Latin word, it means place. <laughs> like, that's where we get the word location. So I mean, it just, locus, location. Now genes have alternate forms. So, because if they were all the same, we would all look exactly the same. And behave exactly the same, except for a little bit of variation from our environments. And we don't look around. We all look a bit different. Because there are different forms of the same gene. Right? So if you have brown eyes, you have different alleles for making eye color than people who have blue eyes, or people who have green eyes, or gray eyes. And I was about to hum a song by New Order, a band that's been around since before most of them were born, but none of you would get the reference. So I decided against it. It's, oh, you've got green eyes, oh, you've got blue eyes. Anyway, nobody cares. Uh, now, let's put both those up. Diploid and haploid. A diploid cell is like most of our cells. It's got two sets of each because you get half your genetics, you get material for your dad, and half for your mom. Some cells in us are haploid. They have only half our genes. Our sex cells, sperm and eggs. There are certain animals who are haploid. 
So male bees, male ants, male wasps. Male aphids, so some of the insects basically. Oh, actually, they're all haploid. They only have one cock. They're, they're, they, they, they grow out of unfertilized eggs, which is weird. Bee genetics, weird. Everything about bees is weird. They're organized. They hurt you. They're only that big. They make a sound. There was a news report yesterday that in Brazil a plane landed and people couldn't get off the plane because there were too many bees. When there's too many bees that you can't get off the plane, that's a lot of bees. I don't trust bees. But male bees don't have two sets of chromosomes, two sets of genes, they have one. They're also dumb, like really dumb. Male, male, male bees are stupid. I have a friend who did his PhD thesis on how stupid are male bees. I mean, that's not really the title, but it was a comparative thing. And they're just dumb. Male bees have one function. They are sperm carriers. That's all they do. A little bit of yard maintenance, a little bit of, little bit of stuff on a car, but they watch, they watch football on Sundays. But beyond that, some of these are drugs, guys. Uh, yeah, male bees are dumb. They don't, all they do is carry sperm. For us, though, the only haploid cells in us are our sex cells. The women in here were born with all of their ova, all of their eggs. You guys, we're making sperm right now, all of us. It's what we do. Again, in a lot of respects, the function of being a male is being a sperm bag. <laughs> you just carry sperm around. It's what you do. It's not romantic in any way, but it's probably true. Haploid diploid. Uh, a gamete is a sex cell, and a gamete is usually is well always a haploid, uh, haploid cell. Now a zygote is when a sperm and egg meet up. So it's when mummy and daddy are really, really close to each other, <laughs> and they're celebrating something. And a little drunk. A friend of mine, he's well aware that he is the celebration of a new fridge in Leeds, England, in 1964 because his parents told him that. <laughs> well, they weren't going to have any more kids, and then they got a new fridge, and one thing led to another, and there's my friend Ian. <laughs> and so, and then he moved to Canada, and he had an English accent when he was, until he was like five, because he moved to 1970, and apparently he got off the plane, and he heard people's accents, and he said, Mommy, they all talk like cowboys here! <laughs> Which I think was cute as hell. Okay. Genes can be recessive or dominant. Because you might think, wait a second, what about the whole thing about different copies? So what if I have, from mom, what if from mom I got a, let's say mom has blue eyes. Well, we can make green, use different colors. There we go. That's not blue. God, sometimes I'm just a complete halfway. Whoa, complete halfway. It's still a half, like, right? It's one times a half. Okay. So let's say from mom, I got a blue, mom's got blue eyes, and I got a blue eye allele of the eye color gene. But let's say dad has brown eyes. And we don't have brown here, but we use a dark yellow. This allele, the brown one, dominates blue. The recessive, the recessive dominant, recessive gene. 
So you end up with your phenotype is brown eyes. Even if you have a blue eye gene, because the big B from from uh, from dad to dad dominates the little B. Okay? This is stuff I, I know you did this in high school. And also, I know it's not really quite that simple for us. There's a whole other section of genes that we need to deal with to make green eyes. But this should tell you something. If both of your parents have blue eyes, because the only way blue eyes show up is if your genotype is this. That's the only way blue eyes can show up. Without a genetic disorder. That's it. So if you both your parents have blue eyes, and you have brown eyes. <laughs> there you go. I will say that I, in this very room, in, oh, geez, 1997, I remember saying, taught teaching this. And then after class, somebody came up to me and said, well, I've got brown eyes, and both my parents have blue eyes. And I said, oh, so you're adopted. Which, <laughs> she said, no, no, I've seen pictures of me and my parents. Oh, I said, uh-huh. You love your mom and dad? And do they love you? And of course, I was hoping for this answer. Of course they do. I said, excellent. I said, because, and she said, but if I wasn't adopted, I said, I think we probably should leave this discussion where it is. Because your parents love you, you love your parents, just leave them alone. So if your parents assume that you never figured this out, they don't know any about genetics. That's all I'm going to say. Discussion over. You love your parents, everything's cool. But it was a very uncomfortable discussion. It can happen. Uh, I have a genetic disorder that just leads to blue eyes. Okay, so it could be. You know, both my parents have blue eyes. But, well, one of them does. The other one's dead, so these eyes have no color at all. Um, that was dark, sorry. It's a little dark. It was 15 years ago, I'm good. I mean, I'm not happy that my dad's dead, but I could joke about it, you find that funny. Uh, anyway, point is, it can happen, but it's really, really rare. So rare that we can just say that you can't really have blue eyes. You can't have brown eyes if your parents have blue eyes. So what happens if one parent has blue eyes that uh, depends on the genotype of the father. Well, let's pretend the father has the brown eyes. If the father's genotype is this, you might actually get the little bee from him. Because you're only going to get one copy from each parent. So you might actually get the little bee from that, that father. That's fine. You get two parents with brown eyes and a baby with blue eyes. That's fine. It's the other way around that's impossible. Yeah. Good question. This is usually where I, I, I see people thinking this is. Um, everything's fine, guys. So you can be homozygous or heterozygous for an allele. So this one here is homozygous. That's two of the same. The one above it is heterozygous. So those are just terms I think that would be useful to understand. I think the idea of understanding recessive and dominant genes is pretty important as well. Any questions on those terms? I think they just allow us to 
have this conversation. You said homozygous is the top one? Yeah, homozygous, no, this, this is homozygous here. Oh, okay. Okay. Two of the same. Just think homo, two of the same, hetero, two, two different. Right, so homo and heterosexual. If you, think, if, you, if you want to use a mnemonic, use that. Is that a, it's not just a mnemonic, it's actually the roots of the words. <laughs> so it's fun. Now, considering a lot of you have taken genetics, and many of you went to school, I'm hoping all of you have at some point gone to school, you know about this. I am never testing you on meiosis. You should have learned this when you were 14. If you didn't, I pity your school. But you should have learned this like in high school, back even before it was called biology in school. Back when they just called it science. Remember that in school? They go, it's time for science, which could be almost anything. You should have learned that then. That's how old that is. Now, but the nice thing about this, so I'm not going to ask you, what about metaphase and anaphase? I don't remember that crap anymore either. And it's not important for our discussions in this class. The important thing here, I think, is to take a look at, um, so this is how sex cells are made. Meiosis, it's not mitosis, which is you end up with two daughter cells. Meiosis, you end up with four. So the cool thing here is we have two sets of chromosomes, right? And they split off, but they don't just go, the dad ones go here and the mom ones go over here. If that was the case, you'd look just like your brother or your sister. You look exactly the same as you have siblings. And they be don't. Sometimes we do, but usually we don't. Right? But what happens is chromosomes don't just pair off, they split up. And then they recombine. So you get this recombination. So this makes us all look really different. And as I said the other day, we all look really, really different, but we're all really, really, really the same. Like we're so similar. We're almost, we're the second most interbred mammal after cheetahs. What do they have cats? I don't know what you know. What do they have cats that'll kill you? And that's because they're in danger. With us, it's because we go back to about 2,000 people that survived a really bad climate disaster about a quarter of a million years ago. And it wasn't one of the climate disasters like the one we're just making today. <laughs> it was more of a natural one. So we're really interrelated. Look around the world, we all look so different. We're all really very closely related. We're all cousins. We're all the same people. It's super cool. Super cool. Okay. But the recombination allows this. And it happens in all but the simplest. I believe that's actually my next point. Oh, darn it. Whoops, sorry. You hit the wrong thing, everything for Yeah, so each, sex, each cell, each sex cell is a little bit different. So, you don't look like your brother or sister, or not necessarily exactly like your brother or sister. There's a lot of similarity, of course, but there's more or less dependent. Okay. So that recombination is a source of a whole lot of, in fact, most of it, of genetic variation. And it occurs in all of the simplest of organisms. Uh, there's some animals like a hydra, incredibly simple things, that don't do this, don't have recombination, but it's a very common thing in the animal kingdom. Mutation is the only source of new genetic material. 
Um, so when you're making copies of anything, you make mistakes. Right? They were, uh, that's before all your times, so it's no good. I was going to use the example of a VCR, it's no good. Most of you haven't even seen one. Okay, what if you're copying somebody else's notes? You would borrow notes from somebody in class? Sure, you don't do that, right? And you copy out their notes. You're going to make the odd mistake. Probably not a lot of them, because you got their stuff in front of you, right? But, but sometimes you make a mistake. Let's say it's for a math class and you turn a plus into a minus. You change everything. In fact, it probably makes the whole equation not work. So that, you can call that a mutation. That mutation is lethal, it doesn't work. Same thing happens when you're making copies of genes. Most of the copies are fine. Sometimes they're bad. And considering how complicated a piece of machinery a human is, one little thing could probably make, again, a real lethal result, right? So most mutations are bad. So bad that they just, that when they happen, when um, a person gets pregnant, spontaneous abortion just happens. The, 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 the uh, embryo is reabsorbed because it just it dies. Some are neutral. It's a small number, but some are neutral. They don't matter. We have a lot of genes that don't do much. There's a lot of genes that we have, that we used to call them junk DNA, we don't call them that anymore because they probably do something, we're just not sure what. Um, but they don't code for any proteins, currently. And if those get checked, it probably doesn't matter. A very small number confer an advantage. Extremely small, this is what we talked about, this is what we talked about evolution. A small number will confer an advantage. But it's really rare. It happens. But again, this we've been around, humans have been around for about a quarter of a million years. Like human age sapiens. Before that, you could say humans, if you want to include other hominids as humans, we've been around a, couple, a million and a half years. We're kind of done. Like we're finished. There's not a whole lot to do to change us. There have been some very small changes. Uh, a lot of times people say, is evolution stopped? The answer is always no. Uh, there have been changes in human evolution. One of the great uh, in human, human genome, a great recent one, is the ability after infancy to digest lactose. That's the sugar in milk. Because we domesticated cows, cattle. We, in fact, invented cattle, which is pretty cool. Humans invented cattle. That's awesome. And like a bunch of times. People are awesome. I, and constantly blown away by how great humans are. So at some point, people went, you know, we can eat those, we can get leather from them, we get milk, but they're really mean. But if we took two nice ones and crossed them together, we get more nice ones. Let's get ones that are so nice that when we say, come over here, we're gonna kill you and eat you, they go, cool, I'm into that. Totally into that. And you go, oh, really? Cool, okay, we found our cow. Humans invented cows. So, we didn't invent a whole cloth. We didn't just go one day, cow. Obviously, when I say we invented it, we did this through selection. And this has happened at least three times in human history. In three very different places, it's great. Humans are awesome. But the thing is, up until about 
4,000, 5,000 years ago, uh, we probably couldn't digest their milk. Well, we could, but we'd get sick. If anybody here is lactose intolerant, there's got to be somebody in the room, you know that you'll, you, I, I have friends with lactose intolerant, they say, okay, once a year I eat ice cream. And then leave my house because I'll be in the bathroom for the next couple of days, but I'm having some ice cream. Because you can't digest lactose. I can. Most of us probably can. Some people can. It's a very recent innovation in human evolution. It's a very recent mutation that past being a baby, you can digest milk. It's a great source of food, right? So it still does happen, and that was a mistake. That was a mistake in copy. It was a mutation. And it's probably about, it kind of fits together with right about the time we all started inventing cows, about three and a half thousand years ago. Years ago. It's very cool. All right. So sometimes it's an advantage, but it's not very common. <laughs> Usually it's bad because it's a complicated machine. Okay. So you have your genes from mom and half from dad. And single genes can affect the characteristic. So single genes can affect the characteristic. Eye color is, is, is kind of a favorite here. Also, we can have many genes affecting the characteristic. So when we think about something like, I mentioned how human height is 80% variable. Your height is in the same gene. I said that IQ, so intelligence, is 60% variable. If that can't be a single gene. Of course not. Your hair color is a single gene. There are things though that are. Like I said, eye color is the favorite example. And in fact, if you got blue or brown eyes, it's a single gene. If you got green eyes or gray eyes, it's actually two different genes. You may have noticed how when you're even your teachers back in high school, they were talking about genetics and talking about eye color. They never mentioned green or gray eyes because it's a little more complicated. So it's two genes, not just one. Okay. Half genes from mom, half from dad. And single genes can also affect many characteristics. There is a gene called FOXP2 that we will talk about. Should be able to hear that, but I'll just it. It's exactly how it sounds. Fox P2, F-O-X-P2. Fox P2 is a cool gene because one of the things it does is it allows us to speak. It's very important to human language acquisition. In fact, there's a family in uh, Wales who have a mutated Fox P2 and they can't speak with proper grammar. They can't learn grammar. They can speak and they can, you can communicate with them, but they're really, it's not good for them. You know what else Fox P2 does? It determines how many digits you have on your left and right hand and on your feet. It, it, it's actually what codes the five digits. It also, so that's a couple things it's doing. Wow, grammar and how many fingers you have? You know what else it does? Uh, it codes for building your genitals properly. No matter if you're a woman or a man. It's, it's important to eat it. 
So if you had, I had somebody once ask me, what if we had seven fingers? Wouldn't that be cool? They're like, yeah, I guess there'll be some extra ones, probably useful. But then your naughty bits probably wouldn't work properly. And you probably wouldn't know how to speak. So you could pick a lot of stuff up and wear lots of rings. But you wouldn't know how to tell anybody about it and you'd never get a girlfriend. So, or a boyfriend. Or both. Look, I'm not going to, whatever your lifestyle is. So single genes can affect many characteristics. It's complicated. But we'll talk about FOXP2 and we'll talk about language. Um, it's always an interaction between genes and the environment. Always. Yes, our, does a single gene affect your eye color? Yes. I can give you green eyes right now. You know how? I'll give you contact lenses, you put them on with your green eyes, and you have green eyes. This you really would. I can dye people's hair. I once had somebody say, oh, I'd love to dye your hair. It would take dye so well. And I said, I'm sure you would. It's not going to happen, but I'm sure you would. <laughs> you know, my hair's clear. It's not even white. It's actually clear. I always want to write that down when they say hair color. They used to have it on the passport, eh? Okay, passports used to have hair color. And I always wanted to fill out clear. But I figured I'd probably be interested. Anything, don't screw with your passport. There's not, it's not time for funny, funny jokes. Because my experience, immigration people generally, you know, your border control people, not loaded with senses of humor. Right? I once, you know, they always said, are you bringing more than $10,000 into the country? I once said, if only, and the guy said, what? I said, no, it was a joke, I'm sorry. No, I got like 100 bucks in my pocket. If that show, that border security show has taught me anything though, it's that all people are trying to do in Canada is smuggle sausage into the country. It's always sausages. There's always some guy going, well, I didn't think I couldn't bring that in. And it's like, you thought you could bring meat in? Anyway, cheese. Or, or cheese, it's sausage or cheese, that's right. And the thing is, like, I saw one of people from France, and they got good food in France, don't misunderstand me, but landed in Montreal. And it's like, you know, dude, you can get all that stuff there. It's a big, major city. Canada has cheese. It's true. It's not just hockey. I mean, a lot of it's hockey. All right. So I'm going to give an example of a genetic disorder that affects behavior. It also affects brain development. So the disorder is called human ocular cutaneous albinism, which is something I have. Okay. So sometimes you'll see this called OCA1. There are many kinds of albinism. Uh, I have the most common one, which is OCA1. There's also OCA2 and a bunch of others. But the one I know about is this one, because I don't give a crap about other people. I hate other people. I hate people, generally. Can't stand mostly people. But some of these I'm kidding, eh? Not that one. I don't like a lot of you people. But again, no jokes, no comedy, no levity. This, the gene I'm going to talk about here is involved in the production of melanin. Melanin is pigment, which gives the rest of you buggers pigment in your hair and your skin and your eyes. So it's involved in the production of melanin. Um, it's actually, the, the genes is to produce an enzyme called, 
Lord was and is. This is Jimmy's. Nice. I, I print like a six-year-old. I guarantee you I've got all the degrees I said I have, but printing is never, they don't talk about printing much in grad school. It never came up in my PhD work. Can you print? And I say, kinda. So I can't break down the amino acid tyrosine. Because that's what tyrosinase does. And it's important in producing melanin. Okay. So I don't have that. I have a bad copy. Two bad copies. So I'm going to call it A, and I'm calling it A for albinism. Why not? So A is normal. And yes, I said normal. I am not normal. This is not the norm. I am not offended by calling myself not normal. Don't be offended on my behalf. I'm talking about this statistically. There's a graph that goes like this. I'm over here going, my skin. Some people in here have more, some people have less. I'm over there without any. Going, do you have any sunscreen? So I'm not offended saying that I'm not normal. I am not normal. Okay. I just want to say these things because sometimes you're here, shouldn't say that. It's my body. I will describe it as such. Little is bad. Again, this is not good having this disorder, so it's bad. Not good is bad. I didn't say it's a bad person. <laughs> I might be, you might think I am after next Thursday when you have the test. Because considering the way the fundamental attribution error works, if you screw up, I'm sure you'll blame me. If you do well, I'm sure you'll blame yourself and how smart you are. So, it's a pure dominance recessive relationship. So, everybody else in this room has this, in fact, I'm going to probably say you all have big A, big A. You might have little a, big A, or big A, little a. Notice those are the same genome, but one's going first. So if we say that the one on the right comes from mom or dad, doesn't matter which. So if this is dad, and this is mom, and then this is dad, this is mom. So in the first example, the little a comes from dad. In the second example, the little a comes from mom. But they, you end up with the same genome. Make sense? Okay. So, and little a, little a, you're looking at. All right. So there's my parents. And that is old enough that, oh geez, when was that? I'm young, dad's younger than me in that picture. Why, is the, why are these pictures so old? We had pictures taken all at the same time, so we use these. These were for my grandmother's 85th birthday, and she's dead, like long dead. I think these were from 1996, so quite a while ago. So, they must have some version of that genome. Big A, little A, little A, big A, not sure which. Because they're phenotypically normal, right? Normal phenotypes, at least when it comes to pigment. Because they just look like all us. They look a little weird like them. Right? And I'm talking, when I say phenotypically, I'm referring simply to, that, to their skin and hair and eyes. I'm not talking about anything else because there were a lot of things about my dad that were really, really, really weird. 
My dad had a heart attack and then drove himself to the hospital. So that's, you wanna hear about type A personalities and being driven? I watched my dad have a heart attack. He complained, went, oh God, I got that heartburn. God, it's annoying. And he says to my mother, Leslie, what do we have for dinner? Like he doesn't remember, which is like, so my father. Anyway, she says, well, just ham, right? Okay. This is where we were living in London. We went back to our place. And then the next morning, we got a call before six o'clock in the morning. I said, yeah, that's the worst call. So I pick up, what's up, what is it, what is it? My mom said, well, your father, your father has a higher heart. Well, what? Remember last night when he was complaining of heartburn? I don't think it was heartburn. I said, oh, so did you call an ambulance? She said, oh yeah, your father, he drove. I can just see my dad driving with his right hand, probably going, hitting his left arm, going, stop being numb, you know? He was, he was a piece of work, my father. <laughs> Missing every day, but he was a bit, he was something. You think, if you think I have, quote, a big personality, everything about me times 10. I'm not kidding, except the education. I had to beat all the hell in education. But everything else, it was like everything about me but bigger. And I mean everything, like his hands were, and I kid you not, twice the size of my hands. He could shift your hand, and his, it went around your whole hand. It was weak, it's a giant of a man, anyway. But, regular skin pigment, so that's what folks, so they had a one in four chance then of having a kid with little a, little a, right? Because they each give one of those genes, so maybe a big A or a little a. So they would either have a kid with big A, big A, big A, little a, or little a, big A, or little a, little a. And they did, as I mentioned here on June 23rd, 1965. My genotype has to be little a, little a, there's no dominance. I don't even guess which one is me on the one on the left. Um, that picture was taken. You know the apartment. You know where you know where Churchill Plaza is. Just over here, over here. Uh, there's apartments across the street from Churchill Plaza. They were brand new in 1965, and they were expensive too. My dad told me the rent was ninety-three dollars a month. Now, it was 1964 and 65, it was a long time ago. He also told me that cigarettes were 11 cents a pack. It's a different time. Gas was a dime. Like, yeah. I mean, he was making like $9,000 a year. It's a, it's a different time. But that's where that picture's taken. And if I'm not mistaken, this kid once pushed me down a flight of stairs and broke my tailbone. Little bitch. Anyway, I don't even remember it. I was too. I was too. Probably should have called her that name. What's she gonna do? Come after me? Okay. So my brother Dan and my sister Steph may be carriers. They may not be carriers, we don't know. But they are phenotypically normal. And again, to show you how old these pictures are, she's married and lives in North Bay. She's married and lives in London. I just was at her wedding. She's a tattoo artist. She's very good at it. Which means then that they are completely, like, except for the faces, like my brother's a walking tattoo. He's the other, Professor Rybeck. He's the other other. There's three of us now, because my daughter. Uh, he runs the Music Industry Arts Program at Finish College. He has won a Juno Award for producer, for engineer of the year. He was nominated for a Grammy three years ago for the final Cranberries album, which he helped. Engineer and producer wrote a couple of the songs. 
my brother's kind of famous in the music industry. There's my sister Steph and my brother-in-law Andrew. Uh, he's 26 and or 25. He's an engineer, lives in Toronto. He's an electrician. And there's a whole other kid who like is trying to be a race car driver. So there's extra kids. Point is, look, they look normal. Okay, so they may be carriers, they may not be carriers, I don't know, it's possible. Right? In fact, there's a pretty good chance. What are the chances that either of them carry the bad G, little a? See if you can work it out. What is it? Uh, 50%? No, because there's, how many possibilities are there for them to look normal? Like three. There's three. So. And how many, how many, yeah, three. So there is three possibilities that they're, so, and there's one of those has, sorry, two of them have little ends. So it's two and three. So there's a 67% chance that both my brother and my sister, that, I shouldn't say both, because that band is actually that times itself, that either of them, okay, let's change the way I say this so I'm mathematically correct. There is a 33% chance that he doesn't carry it and a 33% chance she doesn't carry it. 67% chance that, that she does and a 67% chance that he does. Okay. My kids have to carry the genes because it's the only ones they can get from me. But we know they got a big A from my wife Isabel. That's an old picture of us. When I had more hair and weighed about 35 or 40 pounds more than they more than that. 50 pounds more than I do now. Uh, there's another Dr. Broaddeck right there. And you might recognize him. He's sometimes around campus. He's in my neuropharmacology class. So, uh, and he took this last term. Anyway. And she used to teach French here, but now she is an artist, a visual artist. So we know they got a big age mismo just by looking at their phenotype. Right? Just by looking at their phenotype. Okay, so questions about this before we go on to some behavioral effects of this disorder. Because so far it's just like me talking about myself, which is as interesting as it is to me, you're probably thinking, yeah. what value does this have to my education? And I don't care what you think because I get to talk. <laughs> Kidding. Not a real man anyway. Uh, behavioral effects. I can't spend very much time in the sun. I have no pigment in my skin, none. Okay. Like, there is none. My skin in sunlight, so a regular sunny day in the summer, I get a sunburn about 15 minutes. So I wear 110 SPF sunscreen, which is expensive, but it really works. When I was a kid, up until the mid 80s, you couldn't just buy sunscreen, it wasn't a thing. So I used to get sunburned all the time. July 4th, 1976, Portland, Maine. I got third degree burns from the sun. And it's 95 million miles away. 93 million miles If you ever get a chance to do that, I'd pass. If someone says, what we want to do is kind of cook you, you say, yeah, I think I'm busy that day. I don't think I can make it. Unpleasant. So I don't go out very much in the sun. I just can't. 
And when I do, I'm, 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 I'm just slathered in sunscreen. And I found this 110 stuff about eight years ago, and it's amazing. Because it's not super greasy. But I hate sunscreen, it's gross, and it gets in my glasses. And I, I cycle a lot, which is probably bad with, the, with my vision, but so you sweat sunscreen onto my glass, it's great. So I just can't go out too long. I have extremely poor vision, and I told you guys this in the first day. My vision is 2200, uh, or if you use the British system, uh, 660, which is, again, just means the same thing. It just means 10% of normal acuity. So the amount of detail you see at 200 meters, I see at 20 meters. So that should tell you something. That's something that's 200 meters away. Probably the street, probably Queen Street's about 200 meters, maybe a little less. But the building across the road is about 200 meters away. That's where tickets exactly. I have to walk up to 20 meters to see the same level of detail that you see. And that's because melanin, the thing that I can't make, guides the growth of the visual system in utero. So when I was uh, a fetus and my brain was developing, my visual system didn't develop. So the, the detail I see is just not enough. Now, it's not that anything is blurry about it. Nothing is blurry. Stuff isn't there. Detail's missing. You know when you see a sign far away, you can't read it? Yeah, that's my, welcome to my life. So like, I'll give you an example. Let's see, does anybody have you know, a book on them that has a really nicely written block, like block title that everybody else in the room could read if you held it up? Just something like that, because I mean, I know what everything else, I know what all these things say in here, so it's like, I know that says exit, what the hell else could it say? And I can actually read that. Anybody, oh, this is good, okay, great. Okay, I'm gonna start, so just hold it up, see if people, don't say where it is, it spoils the whole fun. Okay, now I'm gonna show you how close I have to get to read that, okay? So I'm gonna come down here. Vertebrates. So you can see it's probably about 10 times as close as you ever get. So it, you know, it's a challenge. So yeah, my vision's dog shit, it's awful. I don't have binocular vision. So I don't sense depth, depth directly. You know how you can look at something and think to yourself, and it, focus on it, and everything else gets a little blurry, but that's focused and you can see where that is? Is that true, by the way? That's how it works, right? Because I don't know. Yeah, mine don't work like that. The whole world's like a TV show. Now, I don't have binocular vision, but I know that I don't live in a two-dimensional world. <laughs> so there's a lot of binocular cubes that tell me that She's behind you because like, your head's blocking part of her body. So I know from experience that doesn't mean your head lives inside her like chest. It means that she's like, that got a little weird. Uh, so that kind of, those are binocular issues. So I can use those. But I don't have binocular vision. So I can reach out and grab that. But I might miss now and then. I used to smoke a long time ago. And sometimes I'd pull out a cigarette and I'd pull out my lighter and I'd have it over like, Oh, okay, over here. Miss. 
So I can't drive a car. I'm sorry, I may not drive a car. I have what? What? We, we, we have just got a car. Uh, my wife just got her driver's license, we just got a car, it was very exciting. Our first car and she just got her license and then we went for a drive because that's what you do when you get your first car and you go for drives. And we went to, it was in London, Ontario, I was doing a postdoc and we went to this place where they had like a course that you would go down for part of your driving test. So she, we went there because she was showing me where she went for a driving test. Oh, this is neat. And then she said, okay, get out, you're driving. There was nobody, there was a Sunday. I said, what? She said, no, you just gonna try. I'm sure you've wanted to do this. I said, yeah. Well, that's a good idea. But okay. So I get in and I put the seatbelt on. And I mean, I know where the pedals are. Every little boy has started his, the car for his dad to warm it up in the winter if you live in Northern Ontario. So I drove a little bit. I even turned okay. I mean, it was not great, but it's basically a parking lot with some streets, so it was fun. I went very slowly, we probably didn't go maybe more than 30 kilometers an hour. I have played a lot of video games. So I didn't know that brakes were um, like analog. I thought they were digital, just on and off. So I just slammed the brakes on and off, like that. And I mean, remember the other Dr. Broadbeck, the little kid there, she was like six months old in the back of the car. And I said, I don't think this is a good idea. There was one other time my wife went on a trip in 2005. She went to Algeria by herself to hang out with a family she met on the internet. My wife is clearly insane. Turned out they were really nice people. Anyway, which is good, because if not, I don't know. So of course she left the car here because you don't take the car there. It's a long drive to Algeria, there's an ocean on the way. So at that point, I, my son was still four. Yeah. So it was like, we made her milk, and I thought I should go to the store to get some milk, and it was pouring rain. Like, it was pouring rain. And I had, I've got, like, I've got car keys, just who else is going to have the other car key? So I, I'm standing there thinking, you know, the corner store is 700 meters away. And I kid you, that's how far away the corner store was. And I thought, it's just on Queen Street. I just got to get off my street. And the car was back in. She was nice enough to back it in. I don't have to go backwards at all. I can drive straight like this, this, and then I turn this way, and then I go this way until I get to the parking lot. I pull in, and there's all kinds of space in the parking lot. I won't have to back up. I can do this. I'm going to walk to the store and buy milk. Or so I take the car to the store and buy milk. Damn it, I'm going to do this. And I'm saying this, and my daughter's, who at the time is uh, 12, going, Dad, don't. Do you think this is a good idea? I don't think this is a good idea. I'm like, no, I'll be fine. So I go to it. I'm standing now by the car with the keys. I open it, I'm standing there. Then, then I'm going through to this. This is going through my head. What if something does happen? It's pouring rain, and a cop stops me. Can I see your license, sir? Oh, no, I'm blind. See, I don't know that driving without a license would be the worst crime I'd be committing there. 
And at that point, I was completely soaking wet. And I thought, you can't get a quote from my father years ago. You can't get any more wet than wet. I guess I'll just walk to the store. But I came very close. <laughs> but I can't drive. I can't pass the eye test. Though. I just can't. I wait self-driving cars. I'm not very good at baseball because I, have a gene. I don't have a single gene that makes a something in the chain of events that make me help. I can have a batting stance. I can swing a ball. I can throw a ball. I can catch a ball. Hitting, it's a whole different deal. And the thing is, you have to kind of see the ball to hit it. Now and then, because I'm, you know, strong enough guy, I can hit the ball, but I miss a lot too. There's a lot of three strikes in your out, Broadbeck. So I'm not very good at baseball. Now that's a joke. Well, <laughs> or is it? Uh, well, I will say that I'm not stupid. Uh, I went to school for a long time. As much as I'm kidding here, I will also say that the reason I think one of the reasons that I have so much background knowledge and just general knowledge of things is I used to read a lot, I still do, but even as a kid, because there's stuff I couldn't do. Like, well, I did play hockey as a kid because I'm Canadian and that's the law. Um, I wasn't very good, I could skate and I was big. I got, a, I got a, my all-time record, two years, I got one goal and two assists. So stay at home defenseman. Uh, so I did a lot of reading. I read the encyclopedia, I read the dictionary, I used to read the newspaper when I was a little boy, like six years old, and complain about how stupid people were. So it's not that different than now, except I was complaining about how people didn't understand the nuances of the Vietnam conflict in 1971, because I was a weird little boy. Have we established that? But I, I rode a bike, I said I rode a bike, and so it's, it's, it's weird, because the things with my vision are so hard to understand, because I am literally blind, but I also can see and ride a bike. What? The woman from the Canadian National Institute for the Blind came by in 1971 when I was six years old to register me. I had like a social worker and she was meeting with my folks, and then my dad and mom would tell her all about me and all this stuff, and she said, well, I'd like to, and by the way, my dad gave the wrong birthday. They still think my birthday is December 12th, 1967, which oddly enough is my little brother's birthday. But, woman said, I'd like to meet your son. My dad's always kidding, he's getting up right now, he's riding his bike. She said, he can't ride a bike. And my dad went, well, there he goes. <laughs> so that was pretty good. It's a, it's a lovely story that both my dad and my mom told, so I'm pretty sure it's true. So this is a point where, uh, because oftentimes people are curious about this weird disorder I have, do you have any questions? Nothing offends me. I've been like this since forever. And I just don't get offended by questions about it. It's better that you ask them rather than just, like, I don't care. So if you want to ask, if you have any questions, just ask them, and nothing's off the table. I don't get offended by questions about it. Does anybody have anything you want to know? Please. Sorry, I couldn't see that. So, uh, <laughs> you said that your eyes are not working properly. Yes. Uh, what about the, like, what the your glasses? Oh, what's the point of my glasses? I'd ask the same, same question. Uh, one of the things that's wrong with my eyes is astigmatism. So my eyes are shaped wrong, which leads to astigmatism. What's wrong with your eyes when you have glasses? Uh, okay, so you're saying that's you're extremely calm. 
Um, so I have astigmatism. So one of the things the glasses do is they, the big thing they do is actually correct astigmatism. Uh, the other thing they do is they magnify stuff. That's a really good question. But yeah, that's basically what my glasses do. Uh, but you can see that the fiction can't anymore because glasses are way better than they used to be. But my glasses, there was a time when my glasses were like that thick. The technology for making lenses is way better than it used to be. But my glasses used to be really hefty. They weighed something. Because they last. I'm just old enough that I remember glasses are made of glass. So good question. Other questions? Like I said, it doesn't affect me. And usually people have questions, so I've got to just answer them. Anything else? Because it's easy to move on. I have other stuff prepared, but sometimes people don't tell. No, you're good. You're good. Okay, so what I'm saying is this thing has affected my behavior tremendously, and it's because I can't make pigment in my skin and my eyes. We'll talk more about what it did to my eyes, and in fact, what it did to my occipital lobe and all kinds of other parts of my body. Mostly it's my brain, I guess. That's the other parts of my body. That would be weird. And it doesn't do any other parts. Anyway, just my brain. We're my brain. Yes? So is your depth perception messed up? Yeah, don't have it. No. Yeah. So if someone threw an object at you, would you be able to catch it? Oh, yeah. Is it just because you learned yeah. in your lifetime of how to correct it? It's exactly correct. So it's all from experience. I've learned over the years how to catch something. Now, it's also the case that most of the cues that all of you use are monocular. You only need one eye. It's occlusion, like I said, like well now, her head being in your chest, basically. Um, occlusion is, is a great cue, like one thing's in front of another thing. Also, uh, relative size. Like I know the people at the back aren't little tiny people who I can cush. I'm cushing your head. Um, I know they're far away. So those monocular cues are huge. But yeah, my, I don't, the thing that we call depth perception, I don't have. I go to a 3D movie, I hate it with, with the intensity of a thousand suns. Because all it is is, I have to wear these stupid glasses or it's all blurry. But if I wear them, everything just gets, there's no cool effects. Everybody else is going, ooh, in the theater. And I'm going, yeah, this is great. This is so much fun. I'm glad I paid an extra 950 for this. The only reason I'm here is because, this is years ago, because you know my son just wants to eat popcorn at a theater. You know, we eventually, thought, you know what we could do? Just go to the theater, get some popcorn, and leave. Or you can make popcorn at home for like a tenth the price. Um, but yeah, so I don't have any more So that's why I can't hit a baseball. I just, I, I, it happens. <laughs> I can catch a ball, usually use that hand, and I can throw a ball. Um, I play football in high school. There's stuff I can do that surprises people. And I'll tell you, there are people with the same disorder I have and have the same vision I have who have a white cane and a dog. And that's great for them. I'm not trying to disparage them or say that I'm awesome. I mean, I'm pretty great, but that's just because of my parents being, saying we're not gonna let this limit you until we actually find what a limit is and then we'll totally accept that that's a limit. Yeah, yeah, my folks were, I had amazing parents. Other questions? on that. Okay, if you ever have anything, you just ask me. Like I said, uh, there was a time in my life, probably when I was around your age, that it just pissed me off. But I had, now I just don't care. It's like, well, what am I gonna do? If I get upset, will it make my vision better and stop me from getting sunburns? Not really, so there's nothing I can do about it. So just live with what you got. 
right? As my mother said years ago, you're an angry young man, David. And I said, well, you don't ever wonder why, Mom? Okay. So let's talk about some other examples of genetics and behavior in brains. So the thing I want to talk about now are mutant hamsters. So these hamsters, so there's one of them there. Um, they were discovered, the hamster's name is not Martin Ralph. His name is Martin Ralph. That's a very old picture of Marty, but that's when he discovered the hamsters. He was in grad school. Marty was actually on my PhD committee. Um, he was breeding hamsters for his PhD research, and it turned out he got a mutation. Like, he wasn't even studying this, and it changed his life. The next thing you knew, he had a paper in Nature that was on the cover, which is kind of a big deal. In fact, it's kind of a, well, I guess my career's done now because I can't get any better than this other than a thing that has two, ter two words, and one of the words is Nobel, and the other word's prize. Like, getting up the cover of Nature's a big deal. So he discovered a gene called the tau gene. Um, if you have two big T's, you have a 24, this is, this is if you're a hamster, you personally, you have one is a hamster. So if you have two big T's, you have a 24-hour circadian, a 24-hour clock. If you have two, if you're homozygous, but for little t, you have a 20-hour cycle. And we have partial dominance here, so we get a, a 22, whoops, I should actually look that. We get a 22-hour cycle. Yeah. You could see probably how this would never happen in the wild because it could never spread. If your circadian clock is off by four hours, you're going to get up four hours earlier than you're supposed to. Now suddenly, now hamsters are, are nocturnal, so they get up at night. Because why do you think they're going to run? Because they're small and they're basically just food. They're like a little snack for a lot of other animals. But if you're at night, you're a little less likely to get eaten. Guess what happens if you've got a clock that's shifted by four hours? Suddenly you're awake in the day, and then you're somebody's, you're some hawk's snack. So that wouldn't exist in the real world. Like it wouldn't exist out in the wild. But he was crossbreeding animals in his lab. And he got these, this, these weird animals that had this, this circadian clock that was off by four hours. So this is a single gene effect. Uh, that affects brain development actually specific, specifically affects an area of the brain called the SCN. It affects the SCN. The SCN is a clock. If I took the SCN, or not, if, if, yeah, well, if I took it out of a, a hamster like this and I put it in a petri dish, it pulses. It's a clock. Like it actually pulses. The cells fire at a regular window. It's a clock. And it's like that in YouTube. We all have this. Mammals have an SCN and it is our internal clock. For long events, for like a circadian clock, one for a day, for day length. There are cognitive effects on this because how much of, of, of memories and stuff involves time? Lots of it. When did I do this? Knowing when you did something, you know, when did, when, was, when did I, what time of day did I go check on the young? A lot of memory effects. So it's not just their circadian clocks affected. How about fruit flies? Drosophila. 
So fruit flies are basically the white rat of genetics. Uh, they're used a lot. They're a lot smaller than this. This is not actual size. That'd be horrifying. Little fruit flies, right? Little tiny things. The nice thing about fruit flies is they're really easy to make mutations in fruit flies. And those of you taking genetics know about this, how simply, how trivial this is. This is these are techniques that a lot of them developed by David Suzuki. Um, and they're, they're really, they're easy enough to understand that like, they're this, this pretty trivial. And you can actually make, oh, this part of the body, like this part of the body has this genome, this part has this genome, and you can even put another gene in there that color codes. So it makes, oh, this part of it's blue and this one's yellow. Now we know what part is this genome, what part is this, it's really cool. So these techniques have been used a lot. The other nice thing is with Drosophila, you don't need uh, any animal ethics stuff. Like you have to go through any ethics panel because the working assumption here is that it's hard for these things to suffer. You know how you end your experiment? I don't know, can of raid. You know, it's, it's not like these things are, it's not like with rats where you, well, with rats you kill them in a different way. Usually pop off their heads or gas them. We call that sacrificing animals because we like euphemisms. Um, but there's all kinds of interesting mutations here. Here's one. It's called dunce. Dunce is a word. It's not a very nice word. It means a stupid person. But here we're talking about a stupid fly. How would you determine if a fly was stupid? They can't learn stuff. Flies can learn? Of course they can. Here's a nice thing they can learn. To avoid getting shocked. Anything can learn that. Put them in a, like a like enclosure, like maybe a little aquarium kind of deal, and you put a little rod in it that's electrified. You know, it's, this isn't a bug zapper because then you just kill all your subjects. What this is is just something if they land on it, it's unpleasant and they fly away. You run a little electric current through it. Now, most fly, they'll land on it and it's like never again. They even avoid it. They go to another part of the enclosure. You know what these guys do? Oh, I don't know, I guess I'll land there. Oh, that hurt. Oh, well, what about the land there? Oh, oh. That's how they talk, too. They talk like dumb guys. So that's the dunce mutation, single gene. Amnesia. Amnesia ones, they can learn that that little prod will shock them, but they forget after 15 seconds. So for 15 seconds, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm glad I avoided that. I can't do that. It's like landing on that. Amnesia. Stuck. Uh, this is when a mom, this is when a mummy fly and a daddy fly. So when they're uh, mating, they can't get unattached. And I don't mean that one's really attached to the other one. I mean they're literally attached to each other. Quintus interrupt this. That's when the male pulls out. Okay. So he doesn't insert any sperm into the female. It goes somewhere else. So coitus interruptus, which is a funny name. Bang sensitive, which sounds like it's about sex too, but it's not. Nothing? Uh, bang sensitive, Drosophila, you put them in a, in a, in a glass container and you hit the container, they, they, uh, it, knock, it knocks them out. They wake back up, but it, it, like they all fall to the ground. 
and they wake up. What was that? I'm anthropomorphizing the bugs a little bit here, obviously. But yeah, they, they, it knocks them out. That bang knocks them out. So they're bang sensitive. Fenris purr, this is my favorite Drosophila mutation. I think we all have a favorite Drosophila mutation. This is mine. Um, purr means periodicity. It's about timing. It messes up how they do things at the right time of day or within a sequence of events, they screw things up, like I say, baby events. You think, wait a second, you just pull aside a gene in hamsters that does some of the same stuff. And yeah, they're 99% uh, the same gene. There's a couple of different amino acids, uh, or codons that code for amino acids. They're, they're the same gene. So, Oh, that's cool. That's within the animal kingdom. It looks like evolution invented how to keep track of time somehow with a gene. In that's great. It's not even just the animal kingdom. If you look at the growth patterns of slime molds, they grow uh, in a 24-hour cycle. Like, because with our Earth rotating, <laughs> like it just everything works that way. Uh, they have a gene that controls their growth. And guess what? It's uh, the same gene. It's very cool. Science is neat. Alright. So what's this all mean? Excellent question. So what's a gene for behavior mean? It's a behavioral difference caused by a genetic difference, but we're talking about averages about groups, not about individuals. When we say something like something is so much heritable, it doesn't mean a complex behavioral sequence is caused by a single gene necessarily. It could be, but it usually doesn't. Other genes usually contribute to the behavior, of course, so does the environment. But some difference is caused by a genetic difference. It's something like, for example, the fact that I don't have pigment in my skin is caused by a genetic difference. It's just there. That's true. Just because something has a genetic basis doesn't mean it's unchangeable. I talked about this the other day with the example of PKU. So it doesn't mean it's unchangeable. So genotype is not phenotype. So just because somebody has a certain set of genes, a certain set of genetic characteristics, doesn't necessarily mean that their phenotype is affected one way or the other. Okay? And those of you who are biology students know that this is an incredibly complicated thing to talk about how the genes affect characteristics. Does genes get turned on and off by other genes? which affects environments that then turn on other genes, which then turn on environments that affect it. No, 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 no. It's very complicated. Okay. But generally, keep in mind that genotype is not phenotype. Any questions on this stuff? Well, I think I timed today just about perfectly. Thank you, everybody, and I will see you in the future.
So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved. So you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and then it was called Podsafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to, uh, Put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music. Because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time. <laughs>